Good afternoon. It is great to be with you. I have actually wanted to come and just visit and worship with you guys for a long time. So I'm very glad to be here. I have so much love and respect for you guys, love and respect for Pastor Kyle, and of course, Pastor Will as well. Um, These are guys who have been really influential in my life and helpful to me in my journey. So glad to be here with you this morning. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be asking the question, who was Jesus really? Because the claim of Christianity is that the whole story of the world centers upon the person of Jesus Christ. More than that, he's also the fulfillment of the deepest longings of the human heart, and he answers the most profound questions we have about life and death. And of course, we all know that is a very bold claim. But if this is true, then knowing and following Jesus is the most important pursuit of our lives. Yet, maybe, maybe you've experienced this, but when people ask me about Christianity or, or ask me about the faith, very rarely do these questions have actually anything to do with Jesus. Or people within the church who are wrestling with their faith and they're struggling, very rarely do they come to me and say, I'm, I'm struggling. It's never about Jesus. It's always about some type of baggage that has been put on top of the message of Jesus. It's cultural baggage, it's political baggage, it's historical baggage, it's church baggage, it's my bad experience baggage. And so often our friends and our neighbors can't even get to the real person and message of Jesus because there's loads of baggage on top of it. Often the noise surrounding Jesus so loud, we can't hear the message. And I'm not dismissing any of the, 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 the important questions around Jesus, the baggage. Actually, some of those are really important conversations that need to be had. But what I'm saying is, what would it look like for actually for us to peel some of that back, for us to move some of the baggage for just a minute and actually look at who Jesus is and what he has done for us? without all the different um, experiences we've had in the church or without all the baggage around it, who is Jesus really? And I would contend this morning that that is the most important question for us to answer. So in the coming weeks, we're going to look closely at the life of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, Uh, is great because it gives us a clear and orderly account of Jesus's identity. Okay, who was he really? Jesus's teaching. What was his primary message and his purpose? Why did Jesus come in the first place? I recently read about a man, his name is Emile Callot. He's a philosopher or was a philosopher at Princeton University. And he tells his story, it's very fascinating. He grew up in, in France at the turn of the 20th century. And he was an agnostic, had really no roots in the faith, but was always a thinker and a questioner. He went off and fought in World War I. And his experience in World War I was so um, devastating 
He, he saw suffering like he never experienced in his life. He actually got shot himself. When he left the war, he said, I have to search out what is the truth that makes sense of what I have experienced. So he talks about uh, the pursuit of philosophy and the pursuit of literature and the, the pursuit of all the books, he says. And he was looking for the book, he said, that would understand me. But in all his searching, he said he found lots of great teachings, but none that could explain and make sense of his life experience. Then one day his wife was walking the streets of Paris with their baby in a stroller. And she walked past a church and the pastor there handed her a Bible. She put the Bible under her arm. She got home just on a whim. She handed it to her husband. Her husband grabbed it. He'd actually never read the scriptures before. I never understood the claims of Christianity. And he said he took the Bible back into his study and he began to read and he couldn't stop. He read and he read and he read and he kept reading about Jesus. And this is what he said. I read and I read and I read. Now aloud with an indescribable warmth surging within. Could not find words to express my awe and wonder. Suddenly the realization dawned upon me, this was the book that would understand me. I continued to read deeply into the night, mostly from the gospels, and lo and behold, as I looked through them, the one of whom they spoke, the one who spoke and acted in them, became alive to me. And that is my prayer for us over the next weeks and months, that this Jesus that we read about in the gospels would come alive to us. Whether we are here this morning searching, exploring the faith, or you have been a Christian for decades, that Jesus would not be a, simply a doctrine that we ascribe to in a box that we check. That Jesus wouldn't be a historical curiosity that we study, but we would come face to face with the living Christ with whom we can have a relationship with today. So in reading the story of Jesus, the question we need to ask ourselves is the same one this philosopher asked himself. Could the life of Jesus actually help make sense of my life? In, in Brooklyn in 2023, and I contend to you that absolutely the life of Jesus, when we look at it and remove all the baggage, his life makes sense of our lives. So we're gonna pick up the story of the Gospel of Luke in chapter two. Here's what's happened. The part that's happened is the part we all know. So um, the angels came. They uh, announced the good news of Jesus' birth to a group of shepherds. The shepherds go, they visit Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the manger and all the stuff that we celebrated at Christmas has just happened. Fast forward uh, about 30 or 40 days and that's where we are at in the story, Luke chapter two, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem, brought Jesus up to present him to the Lord. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the, the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Can you imagine? And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. When we read biographies, typically what you see is that the biographer takes a significant amount of time telling you about the childhood of whoever you're reading about. What were their parents like? What What was their philosophy of bringing up this person? What obstacles did they overcome as a child that shaped them later on? The life of Jesus is entirely different In fact, we know very little of Jesus' childhood. We have the birth account, which we all know, and then we have his public ministry, which started at age 30. So between birth and age 30, we actually don't have a lot of information about Jesus, except for a few scenes. And this is one of them. This amazing scene where you get these two characters of Simeon and Anna. They tell us that Jesus, uh, the Jesus that we've encountered in this miraculous birth is actually even better than we hope for. That there's actually more to the story than we even know. So Simeon and Anna start building on the message of the angels. When I was in college, uh, as Kyle said, I actually spent some time overseas uh, doing some college ministry. And um, during the summer, Uh, we were on the college campuses, we were getting to know students, and I got to know a student who was heading up an English club. And he said to me one day, he's like, hey, Logan, uh, I know you like play the guitar and and stuff. Like, could you just bring the guitar next week? I'm doing this thing. Could you just play a few songs in English for us? I thought, yeah, no problem. You know, happy to, no big deal. So I said yes, and I didn't think about it uh, till the next Thursday. I come on campus, get off the bus, got my guitar in hand, walk off into the the main quad of the campus, and uh, I see this massive stage set up. It's like like one of these outdoor festivals. We got stacks of speakers. There's corporate sponsors, like Red Bull is sponsoring this event. And I walk into my friend, I'm like, man, what is going on? Like, this is amazing, this is great. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, yeah, like what is happening with the stage and everything? He's like, "Um, this is the thing. He's like, 
this is, your, this is what you're playing the songs for. And I was like, what? I thought I was singing in a, like a circle with eight English speakers. And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. This is the concert. This is the stage. And oh, by the way, you are the headliner. And I was like, um, I, I think you've misunderstood the situation. I am not qualified um, for this job. And he said, well, you, you know, you're the headliner tonight, so go, go after it. Um, and sure enough, that night, thousands of people showed up at the center of campus. And indeed, I was the headliner. So that was the night that I played Backstreet Boys and John Denver covers for thousands of East Asian students. Was what my friend told me true? Yes. I was just going to play a few songs in English. Was there a lot more to the story? Yes. Were there very significant parts of the, the story that he had sh failed to share with me? Yes. And that is what is happening when we pick up the story of Simeon and Anna. Luke is wanting to tell us, like, what you know about Jesus is true. Like, this, these things you've heard about, the angels declare, the birth, it's all true. But there's actually even more to the story. Jesus is actually far greater than you can even imagine. That he's actually bigger than what you suspected. That Jesus is even more than you hope for. So in this passage, what I want to do this afternoon is just draw out three ways that Simeon and Anna attempt to show us how great Jesus is. First, they teach us that Jesus is hope for the waiting. Jesus is hope for the waiting. We need to notice some very important contexts in this passage. Uh, we, we look at Simeon and Anna and we say, okay, what were they doing when Jesus came on the scene? Both of them, the text says, were doing the same thing. They were waiting. Waiting. It says uh, in verse 25 that um, Simeon, who was a man of godly character, he was filled and directed by the Holy Spirit, and he was, quote, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then we get to Anna. Anna is a prophetess, she was, and she's a widow. She's 84 years old, and she spent all of her time worshiping and praying in the temple. And what was she doing? Well, she was in the camp of those waiting for the redemption of Israel. Both Simeon and Anna, these faithful saints of God, were in a season of waiting. And I don't know about you, but this is very encouraging to me because I almost constantly feel like I am in a season of waiting in my faith and in my life. Right? We have these longings, oftentimes really good longings, but they're unfulfilled, and so we wait. There's maybe some in the room today who are waiting to have kids or waiting for a change of job. Some of you may be waiting to get married or waiting to finally be healthy again. Some of you may be waiting for your adult kids to come back to the faith, right? These are good longings, and you're like Simeon and Anna. You're like, I think what we're wanting is good but it just hasn't happened. We're waiting. And it's part of this tension that we live in in the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is now. So when Jesus came, there was a sense to where the kingdom came. But there's also another sense where the kingdom is not yet. Like we're still waiting for the fullness of the kingdom 
to come. So we have these unfulfilled longings. And we live in a society that has trained us to think that waiting is fundamentally bad. Like we should avoid waiting at all costs. We used to have to go to the store. If I wanted something, I would wait till the stores open. I would have to go to the store and I would buy it. Now we go online, we click one button and it arrives in our door in two days. Literally almost anything you want to your door. We live in a world where I can watch any movie I want to at any time. We, you guys remember the times where you have to go to the movie store and rent a movie to watch it. It's extraordinary. Can you remember Blockbuster? But now what do we do? Anytime I want to, I could just go online, click a button and watch anything I want to watch. Or how about music? I mean, I used to have to wait till the CD came out, wait till the store is open, go to the store, buy the CD, wait till I get in the, the, my car and listen to it. Now at 12.01 on the release date, you can buy whatever music you want to. We live in a world that is like fighting tooth and nail against waiting. But then we get the scene with Simeon and Anna. And actually their waiting doesn't, isn't bad. Their waiting is presented to us as a good thing. Because in their waiting, they realized that all of it was worth it. <laughs> that in fact, waiting on a good thing is worth it because in their waiting, they got Jesus. And the same is true for us. In our waiting, if we wait on God, what we get is actually probably better than what we're actually wanting. We get more of Jesus himself. Our, our culture says, do not wait, consume now. But God tells us, wait for me and learn to trust. Because waiting is not easy. Because right? when we wait, it's painful. But in the process of waiting, we actually get something extraordinary. We get, to we get to learn to trust in God. We get Jesus. I love the way author, the author Paul, Paul Miller puts this. He says, when you stop trying to control your life, anybody else like me trying to control their life? And instead, allow your anxieties and problems to bring you to God in prayer, you shift from worry to watching. You watch God weave his patterns in the story of your life. Instead of trying to be out front designing your life, you realize you're inside God's drama. As you wait, you begin to see him work, and your life begins to sparkle with wonder. You are learning to trust again. That is the gift of waiting. That is the gift that Simeon and Anna teach us. Jesus is hope for the waiting because in our waiting, we get him. When we're tempted this year, we move into 2023, we will be tempted to bypass God's way and just do it ourselves. This year, we will be tempted to get what we want and get it now. But the invitation from Jesus is the waiting is worth it because in the waiting, we trust and in the trusting, we get him. So first, we see that Jesus is hope for the waiting. Second, we see Jesus is comfort for the suffering. 
So we, we know that Simeon was waiting, but what does the text say he was waiting on? Verse 25, he was waiting, quote, for the consolation of Israel. Basically, Simeon was waiting for God to comfort his people. And this comes from a prophecy in the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 40 this, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. See, Isaiah, he looks through the corridor of history and he sees a time when the God of the universe is going to come and he is going to bring ultimate comfort to his people. And Simeon, this is astounding. Simeon is not expecting this, by the way. He's not set up for this. He's walking into the temple and he sees the baby Jesus in the arms of his mother and he says, there it is. There he is. God's ultimate comfort for the world is in Mary's arms. It's astounding. And he's not talking about a temporary relief from bad circumstances. He's not talking about a Band-Aid over our wounds. He's talking about a deep and abiding comfort so that whether you are in good circumstances or bad circumstances, whether you are actively in pain or not, whichever circumstance you're in, you can have the comfort of God. Because we often believe that comfort comes from removing the cause of discomfort. Right? If I want comfort, I think, oh, okay, God, just get rid of these people that are causing me discomfort or these circumstances or this, these painful things that work. God, just get rid of them, and then I'll be fine. I'll be comfortable. I'll be good. But God actually does something much deeper. He's talking about a comfort that comes from God's people knowing that one day he will right every wrong and end all suffering, not just your suffering in the moment, but all suffering. As Tolkien said, the day when everything sad comes untrue. The truth is we all seek after comfort in various ways. We, we probably learned it from our family of origin some of you stuff it in, put a smile on your face, pretend like it never happened. Others of you tend to really get angry and explode. Other people isolate themselves, not letting anyone else into their pain. Others try to numb it, medicate it, make the edge go away. But Jesus gives us a better path for comfort. He, do, he never minimizes our pain. He never says, ah, just pretend like it doesn't happen. It's not that big of a deal. Just think happy thoughts and everything's gonna be fine. No, he doesn't minimize our pain. He does something better. He takes our pain. And this is what actually Simeon alludes to. Verse 35, it's this weird um, addendum to the verse almost. He says this amazing prophecy about light and there's glory. And then he looks to Mary. And he, verse 35, and he says, a sword will pierce through your own soul so that thoughts of many will be revealed. And you think, wait, I thought we we're talking about the comfort of God's people. Why are we talking about a sword piercing my soul? 
comfort we see comes through piercing. That Simeon actually is looking forward to the cross of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, listen, Mary, there's actually going to be a sword that pierces your soul because your beloved son is going to the cross. But I'm telling you, there's an abundance of comfort available to you. There's a comfort that surpasses all human understanding. But that comfort is not going to be from God just kind of like cleaning everything. It's going to be by God taking the pain upon himself on the cross. And a sword is going to pierce your very soul. But in that piercing will come peace and comfort and joy. Jesus will take your pain upon himself on the cross, and then he will offer you divine comfort. So the question for us this afternoon is where are you seeking comfort? Have you attempted to bypass the road of suffering? Have you stuck your head in the sand, avoided it? Have you bypassed the road of the cross? Have you looked for temporary relief, a Band-Aid? when actually Jesus himself is offering you today an abiding comfort that comes through him and his cross. Finally, we see in this passage that Jesus is light for the searching. He's not only hope, he's not only comfort, he's light. Simeon says in his prophecy that Jesus is, quote, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Light for revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus shows us what God is really like. And this is astounding. When the God of the universe wanted to shine a spotlight on who he is, when he wanted to reveal to the world what he was like, he did it by sending Jesus Christ to the earth. And he said, okay, look at him. You wanna know what I'm like? Look at him. You wanna know what my heart is like? Look at him. You want to know what I'm about? You want to know the way that I go about my business? You want to know that how I rule the world? You want to know about me? Look at Jesus. He is my light of revelation to the Gentiles. The book of Hebrews says it this way, that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. I mean, you want to see God, you look to Jesus. He's a light shining on God. And this is very, very important because often when we, when we um, are in a moment of struggle, in a moment of frustration, in a season of difficulty, in darkness, let's say, we are tempted to believe all types of crazy things about God. We start to get these ideas in our head, God doesn't really see, God doesn't really care. I'm not even sure if God, if he saw and he did care, I'm not even sure if God could do anything about it. I'm just going to handle this myself. I'm just going to medicate with an extra drink. I'm just going to work myself to death because this money feels better than Jesus at this moment. And we start to believe all these narratives that are not true. Right? We, we, we begin to question God's heart and God's motives to us. But Jesus is the light of revelation. That means we don't have to wonder what God thinks about us. We don't have to wonder if he cares. We know he does because we saw it in Jesus. Jesus, we'll see in the gospel of Luke, is like a shepherd who would leave the 99 and go after the one. Jesus is like a good father 
who when his rebellious son comes running down the road, runs to him with open arms and embraces him, throws the robe on his shoulders and the ring on his finger. Jesus is like the apostle John says, he's full of grace and he's full of truth. Jesus is the one who will ultimately lay down his life for us out of love for us to bring his children home. He would give up his very life. So we don't have to question what God thinks or God feels about us. We don't have to wonder when Logan <laughs> pops into the heart of God. What is, what, are they, what is he thinking? Like, Logan, like, he's frustrating me right now. Logan, like, man, that guy really better get his act together. I've given him one chance, two chance, three chance. Logan, like, who's Logan? I haven't thought about him in years. No, it's not the heart of God. So maybe you're here this afternoon and you've been on a search and you're wondering, okay, what is, who is God? What is he like? How can I relate to him? The truth is that Jesus is the light of revelation. So we can look to him to figure out who God is and what he's like and how we relate to God. He is hope for the waiting. He is comfort for the suffering. He is light for the searching. But the question this afternoon is if Jesus is all of these things, if God really is like that, then how do we relate to him? Right? It's one thing for, yeah, okay, light, hope, comfort. That all sounds wonderful. But what do I do with that information? How do I relate to a God like that? See, as we move into a new year, here's the invitation. Will we try to bypass waiting, take things into our own hands, or will we wait with patience? And will we learn to trust again? In our suffering, will we try to numb it? Or will we turn to Christ, who on the cross carried our suffering? Will we grab hold of the lesser comforts that tempt us? Or will we hold out for the truth, the truth of Jesus Christ? Would we for a moment just move off all the bags and say, I'm not going to be satisfied with carrying around this baggage and missing Jesus. No, in fact, I'm going to run headfirst to him. I don't care what's on top, what's beside, what I have to get through, but I've got to get to Jesus. Because if I get to him, there's true joy. There, there's the peace. There's the comfort. There's the love. There's the satisfaction. There's the life that I have been wanting. And if we keep on the edges and the periphery, if we settle for lesser comfort, lesser hope, lesser light, we actually never see him. But the invitation this morning is to get all of that stuff out of the way and say, I want the real thing. I don't want to play religious games. That leads to death. No, I want to, I want to know the Christ who gives life and gives it abundantly. Are we willing to move past the baggage to get to Christ? Are we willing to let Jesus speak for himself? Are we willing to let his grace surprise us? Are we willing to give him the final word this year? Because if we do, the invitation is clear. There is light, 
there is hope and there is comfort. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. This afternoon, we want to, with open hands, surrender to you afresh this year. We want to know your hope, your comfort, and your light. Not theoretically. We want to know it firsthand. We want to experience it. We want to walk in the fullness of what you have for us. We don't want to miss it. So God, we ask for your help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.